recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christiania Saturdays. Praise Yahweh. Thank you for listening and being here tonight. I have um, a, quite a few things to talk about. First on the list, I'm in Panama City Beach. I will be here through next weekend and possibly, probably until next Tuesday. So I'll be here for at least nine more days. We have inclement weather here. I almost expect to have this program interrupted a few times. I will be back as soon as possible, so please be patient if interruptions do happen. Tonight we're going to have some open discussion, so hopefully maybe some people will want to call in. I want to make a a presentation first. It should take me about maybe, I don't know how long I'm going to run my mouth, 45 minutes, an hour to get through. I have a couple of other things to talk about. Prosync.org is being threatened with a shutdown notice by website host GoDaddy.com for no specific reason. It is clear to us at Christiania that GoDaddy.com is an enemy of free speech and an enemy of truly open political discourse. Prosync's websites are moving, and, and hopefully they will be on a new hosting service soon. And look to whatever we can to help with that effort. Um, last night we ended the program with an ex- elucidation of the the end of Luke chapter five. Of course, that's what I was covering. Where Christ said that no one tearing a patch from a new cloth puts it on an old garment. And he goes on to say that no one drinking the old, meaning the old wine, desires the new. For the old, one says, is good. And, and Christian identity, because it's been for the last, well, 150 years at least, it's been a developing theology based upon an awakening to the true identity of the European peoples, which in turn is based upon a study and and all of the discovery in the science of archaeology these past 150 years. Because Christian identity has been developing, many people have come into it from many different sects, and they all still bring their old wine. No one tearing a patch from a new cloth puts it on an old garment. But in Christian identity, we have many divisions, and 99%, I would bet, of those divisions are because people drag their old baggage, their doctrines, their beliefs from the Baptists and the Catholics and wherever else they came from, they dragged them into Christian identity. Why? Because they are comfortable with them. For the old, one says, is good. They cling to the old wine because they're familiar with it, because it tastes
and I expect more. Well, due to the weather tonight, that was the first interruption. I expect more. That's okay. We're going to plug it along. I get a lot of emails from people, some of them who have good intentions, and many of them who have agendas. Most of those people with agendas are people that cling to that old wine, to that old baggage. I'm going to discuss a man named Bud Fleischer. Bud really seems like a decent guy, but he contacted me several times in emails and also with, with um, he, he actually mailed me a letter to my P.O. box. And after about four months, I finally answered Bud Fleischer. I put him off so long because, well, first I have hundreds and hundreds of emails to answer, which I just can't get to. Um, that's just a fact. And, and second, because the questions Bud had, one of them was never my position, and the other one was um, what was easily discoverable on my website if he'd have only read it. Well, well, first he tried to attribute things that Eli, positions that Eli had held in our early programs on the divinity of Christ to me. And that just told me that he was only listening to half the program and, 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 and maybe he had our voices mixed up and he should have known better. The other one, though, was about the six days of creation. He was writing me, um, asking me my opinion of the six days of creation. And when I gave him my answer, he told me that I was wrong. Now, now that's dishonest, right? If, if you know what my answer is going to be, or if you don't like my answer because you've answered, asked an honest question and, and received an answer that's disagreeable with you, that's fine. Just go away. You don't have to argue with me. You're not going to change my mind unless you have absolutely definitive proof that I'm wrong. And then when I realized that, I would accept correction. But Bud just had an agenda. Bud thinks that Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, seals his argument that the days of creation are literal 24-hour days. In this next, for in six days, the heaven and earth, the sea and all in them, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day high. But if the days of Genesis 1 can represent periods of time, metaphorically, why should that change in Exodus? They are an example for us, but they do not have to represent literal 24-hour days to God. I have three witnesses. In Genesis chapter 1, the sun and moon were not even created until the fourth day. So those days, at least the first four, can't possibly be literal 24-hour days. Peter says that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. So we see that a day to God can simply be representative of a very long period of time. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left of us entering into his, meaning God's, rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. 
we have a promise that we shall enter into his rest. Well, he created the universe in six days and rested on a seventh. If he still, and Paul's referring back to the Exodus and Joshua and the period of Joshua, if Yahweh is still in that period of rest, which he entered into after he created the world in Joshua's time, well, that means he was still in that period of rest for at least 3,500 years. That being approximately how many years it is between Adam's time and Joshua's time. I, I really think it's about 3,900 according to the Septuagint chronology. So we see that that seventh day still has not ended. It's an allegory. The days of the Sabbath week are literal to us, but the days of creation are allegorical to God. Yahweh created time, and therefore Yahweh is outside of time. The days of Genesis are represented as days to us, but they may well have been eons. Bud couldn't understand this when I told him not to blame me because I couldn't understand this, because he couldn't understand this simple abstract concept. He called me an arrogant Nazi. And, and that's sad, but that, that's something that we, we can... We should be able to disagree on a lot of things, and there's a few things that we can't disagree on. And tonight, my point in presenting an overview of how I see 2C line, I hope to outline some things that we all, being um, adherents of what we call two or dual seed line Christian identity, I hope to outline some things that we cannot disagree on, and we should not, because the scripture is very plain on them. And then there are some things that, yeah, we can disagree on, but those things in the long run, they don't matter one bit. They just don't. In Matthew 13.35, this is from my Luke program last night also. In Matthew 13.35, from the King James Version of the Bible, immediately preceding the explanation of the parable of the wheat and the tares, we see a statement which reveals yet another aspect of the ministry of Yahshua Christ, where it says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the Now, if things were kept secret from the foundation of the world, in other words, those things were not revealed to men, as the scripture attests, then we cannot imagine that the Genesis account of creation is complete. For the serpent and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which must represent the race of the serpent, and we'll discuss that a little more, for the serpent to have been in the garden in the first place, other things must have transpired in those ages before the creation of Adam, which were not revealed in Genesis. Those other things, 
later revealed by Christ in his parables, as he states at Matthew 13:35, and in the Revelation. There is Old Testament. verification of this in Deuteronomy 29.29 where it says the secret things belong unto Yahweh our God but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever why? that we may do all the words of this law the Septuagint version of that passage even in the Greek reads very much like that in the King James. Deuteronomy 29, 29, from the very words of Moses himself, tells us that the Genesis account, the Genesis creation account, which Moses himself recorded, cannot possibly be complete. Christ came to reveal things kept secret from the foundation of the world. And those things are revealed in his revelation and in his parables. Examples of some of those parables which explain the origins of those who oppose Christ are found in Matthew 13, in Luke 11, and in John 8. And I will read those passages forthwith. From Matthew 13:36. Then leaving the crowds, he had gone into the house, and his students came forth to him, saying, Elucidate for us the parable of the tares in the field. And responding, he said, He sowing the good seed is the Son of Man. Now the field is the world, and the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil or the false accuser. And the harvest is the consummation of the age, and the reapers are the messengers. Therefore, just as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, thusly it shall be at the consummation of the age. The Son of Man shall send his messengers, and they shall gather from his kingdom all offenses, and those creating lawlessness, and they shall cast them into the furnace of fire, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous shall shine forth like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He having an ear must hear. The enemy who sows them is the false accuser, or the devil. We have our definition, our definition of the devil as Satan, as that old serpent, and our other epithets in Revelation chapter 12. We will get to that shortly. Luke chapter 11, verse 45. Then replying, one of the lawyers said to him, Teacher, saying these things, you also insult us. And he said, And to you lawyers, woe, because you load men with burdens hard to bear, and these burdens you touch with not one of your fingers. Woe to you, because you build the monuments of the prophets and your fathers killed them. Therefore you are witnesses, and you are consent to the works, and you consent to the works of your fathers, because they killed them and you build. For this reason also the wisdom of Yahweh says, I shall send in prophets and ambassadors, 
and some of them, and they shall kill, and they shall persecute, in order that the blood of the prophets spilled from the foundation of the society should be required from this race, from the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the house. Yeah, I say to you, it shall be required from this race, the mystery of iniquity, the mystery of the Kenite and Canaanite infiltration into Judah, the Edomite infiltration into Judah, the fact that that race was a mixed race of the race of Judah along with the races of Cain and Canaan, and therefore they could be held responsible for the blood of Abel, only Cain and his descendants could possibly be a race held responsible for the blood of Abel. John 8:42. Yahshua said to them, If Yahweh was your father, you would have loved me, for I have come from of Yahweh and am here. I have not come by myself, but he has sent me. For what reason do you not perceive my speech? Because you are not able to hear my word. You are the sons of a father, the devil, or the false accuser. And you wish to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and did not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own devices because he is a liar and the father of it. So we see that these people are the sons of their father, the devil, and their father was a murderer from the beginning. Only Cain is a murderer in the beginning. They are the children of Cain in one way or another. Now it can be established, looking through the scripture, that these Kenites and Canaanites and Edomites eventually also infiltrated Judah and eventually came to rule over Judea at the time of Christ. And they were always around. We see the Kenites are the scribes in Judah, all the way back in the first chapter of Chronicles. They were always around. They were always infiltrating. They were always plotting and planning their treachery and corrupting the governments of the children of Israel. There's nothing new under the sun. I cited these three passages so that we... Um, can see the context in which they are used and, and they will come into play later on when we try to understand certain other passages because all these things have to be understood together. Here we see that the evil in our Adamic world has its origins in Genesis chapter 3 in the creation of our Adamic world. Three Gospels trace this evil back to the time of Cain or the time of the devil at the foundation of the world. We have just seen that in Matthew 13, in Luke 11, and in John chapter 8. And Cain's race, as we see in Luke 11 and in John chapter 8, cannot be the same race as that of Israel and of Christ. We have wheat, we have tares, and they're planted at the beginning. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. 
And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his messengers, or angels, fighting with the dragon. And the dragon fought, and his angels, and they did not prevail. Nor was their place found any longer in heaven. And the great dragon had been cast down, that old serpent. So here we see that the great dragon is that serpent of old, who is called the false accuser, or the devil, and the adversary, or Satan. So we see that the serpent of old, the great dragon, Satan, and the devil are all one entity. He who deceives the whole inhabited earth had been cast into the earth, and his messengers had been cast down with him. Now we see that their place was found, not found any longer in heaven. Anyone who contradicts that with any other scripture misunderstands the scripture that they're trying to use to contradict the revelation. They're misunderstanding that scripture, and they're trying to turn the revelation into a lie because their place was not found any longer in heaven, and since Satan is that serpent of old, therefore he must be the serpent of Genesis chapter 3, he must have been cast down to earth before that time in order to be there in the earth in the event of Genesis chapter 3, in order to plant the tares, because that's when the tares were planted. They were planted at the foundation of the earth or the world, the society, the Adamic society. Revelation chapter 12 is complex in nature. I explained that when I covered it in Christrike. It has different meanings. It's a very, um, wow, it had to come from God. When you, well, when you fully examine it, it refers to the events in Genesis chapter 3 in the garden. It refers to the birth of Christ, where we see that Herod, the Edomite, is representative of the dragon. And Edomites can represent the dragon because they also descended from Cain. The Edomites having been mixed with the Canaanites, the Canaanites in turn being mixed with the Rephaim, the descendants of the fallen angels and the Kenites, we see that this entity, this evil entity, had transformed itself into different tribes and different peoples throughout time. And we see them do the same thing today, where they've transformed themselves into Germans and Britons, Englishmen and Americans. And today they sit in Berlin and Hamburg, and London, and Dublin, and New York, and wherever else we have a city. So this is nothing new. It's still going on. And they can all be traced through history. Luke ten seventeen. Then the 72 returned with great joy, saying, Prince, even the demons are subjected to us by your name. Now, when we go to the literature in Enoch, we see that these demons, these evil, wicked spirits, they came from bastards 
not the other way around. The wicked spirits, we are told explicitly in the Enoch literature, came from the bastards. Many people think that the demons, and that's not true. The Enoch literature tells us that the demons originated on earth as the spirits of bastards. Prince, even the demons are subjected to us by your name. And he said to them, I beheld held the adversary falling as lightning from heaven, something that already happened. He beheld it, past tense. And the proof of that is in the next statement where he says, Behold, I have given to you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and upon all the power of the enemy. Those serpents and scorpions are the wicked people in Judea, in the world at the time in which Christ is speaking. They are bastards. They are the enemy, where Christ says, all the power of the enemy. Just as Paul, in Romans chapter 16, verse 20, speaking of the Edomites in Jerusalem, Paul tells the Romans that Yahweh would crush Satan under their feet shortly. We see that Satan is that this Edomite race of people. Satan is not limited to the Edomites alone, but these Edomites are a part of the satanic entity in the world. And Paul calls them Satan in Romans 16.20. Here, Christ calls them serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy here in Luke 10.19. So we see that this evil race have their origination and are connected here by Christ with Satan falling as lightning from heaven. That this has happened long in the past. Satan is no longer in heaven. Satan operates through his genetic descendants in their genes. It's inherent. It, it's um, congenital in them to do everything which opposes righteousness and justice and everything which opposes anything that represents godliness. That's how they act. It's natural to them. They are the tares. They were planted at the foundation of the world. Where did the angels fall from? It really doesn't matter. We can't prove where they fall from. We should agree that because these serpents, these scorpions, this satanic entity, these dragons, because they have always been here with us, we must agree that they fell long ago in the past. That's what the scripture is teaching over and over again. However, where they fell from isn't really important. We don't have the pictures we don't have it recorded. They left their first estate in Jude. They fell from heaven. Now, that could mean a few things. Heaven is a word used both physically or, or literally and allegorically very often in Scripture. Heaven could be a past 
righteous kingdom of God on earth. And that could be the heaven that they fell from. And heaven is often used in that manner in scripture to describe something just like that. Heaven could be outer space, if you want to believe that. I'm not going to tell you that you're wrong, because I wasn't there to see where they fell from. Christ's statement in Luke, where he beheld Satan falling as lightning from heaven, if you want to take that literally, you could make that insistence, but that statement could also be taken allegorically, because something that falls like lightning is just something that falls very fast. And lightning actually technically goes up and not down, even though we perceive it as coming down from above. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where Satan falls from. Satan may have fallen from another dimension into this dimension. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to argue with you over that. We shouldn't argue over that. But we should all understand that Satan fell. Satan fell long ago. And that satanic evidence, that, that satanic entity is the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden of God in Genesis chapter 3. Did God put it there? Well, we have to imagine that God knows all things before they happen. He can't help but know all things before they happen because he is God. He must have known that they were going to end up there. He has a sovereign will. He has a permissive will. We don't hold God responsible for our sins. All men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But, of course, God knew from the foundation of the universe that Satan was going to end up in the garden and that Adam was going to end up in the garden. Where Satan fell from, we probably shouldn't argue. That Satan was there, we should all agree upon, if indeed we consider ourselves believers in Scripture. That's the way I look at it. Because that's clearly what the Scripture teaches. That Satan which fell must be the serpent, and must be the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, Yahweh our God does not take credit for the creation of the other races. I know that certain people might insist that the other races are the beasts of the field. But the beasts of the field in Genesis, the words che, the words behemoth, and I know Clifton's listening, and he's done a lot of work on this in answer to some certain heresies. Well, Chang and Behemoth are used of four-legged beasts of burden, of wild beasts, of wild animals, of lions, and of tigers, of apes, of donkeys, of deer, of, of every kind of animal that we see in the animal kingdom. Some people might insist that there were other trees in the garden that were good to the eye, pleasant to the eyes, and good for food. And some people insist that those are the races that were here before Adam. Well, those people are wrong 
Because if you read Genesis chapter 2, it was only after Yahweh placed Adam in the garden that those trees which were pleasant to the eyes and good for food were made to grow from the ground. That's an allegory for all the families of the Adamic race which appeared in the garden after the plant, after the placement of Adam in the garden. You cannot turn that into pre-Adamic races. The context simply would not allow it. That's Genesis chapter 2. The Adam of Genesis chapter 1 is the same Adam of Genesis chapter 2. The words are the same, the language is the same, the way the words are used, we, we see they are used throughout Scripture, and you cannot insist on two different creations of Adam. The basic fact can be established is that Genesis chapter 1 is an overview of creation. Genesis chapter 2 explains the end or the pinnacle of the creation of Genesis chapter 1, which is the creation of Adamic man in further detail. That can readily be established in Scripture. There are lots of people who might deny that, and I would say that that's just too bad. Does that sound arrogant? Well, I don't care. Clifton has plenty of research on his website. I have plenty of research on my own to demonstrate that. And we should... It should be easy for racially conscious to see line Christian identity adherents to understand that there is only one Adam in the Bible. Anything else is basically a heresy, a heresy which has been devised by people to try to make excuses for the existence of the non-white races. It's not outline or describe the creation of non-white races of men. But it wouldn't confuse Negroes and Mexican squads and bullocks and horses, which is the way that the word behemoth is actually used. In the Enoch literature, and I'm going to quote this, and I quoted it when I discussed Luke chapter 4, and it's from my Genesis 6 paper, from a translation of the Qumran Scrolls, the Dead Sea Scrolls, a new translation by Michael Wise, Martin Abegg, and Edward Cook on page 247. A translation of 1Q23, fragments 1 and 6, which are unfortunately highly fragmented, and I will not indicate all of the ellipses. The exact text is found in several places on Christogenia, in my notes to Luke chapter 4, and in my paper, The Problem with Genesis 6, 1 to 4. 200 donkeys, 200 asses, 200 rams of the flock, 200 goats, 200 beasts of the field from every animal. So we see that beasts of the field are every animal, right? 
from every bird for miscegenation. Alice had all and confused and confounded and miscegenated the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, 4Q531, fragment 2. They de- And behold, all the earth was corrupted. Zulus and pygmies, or mandingos and South American squat monsters, or yuckies. I don't care what you call them. I don't believe God created them because he never took credit for that in the Genesis account. From 4Q532, one of the Dead Sea Scrolls, from column two, fragments one through six. Flesh, all monsters will be. They would arise, lacking in true knowledge because the earth grew corrupt. Whole, let's look at this. It's lacking in true knowledge. The earth grew corrupt. How's my audio? Thank you. Yeah, it's it's uh it's it's a little crackly, a little distorted, but uh, you're coming through. Well, this is my telephone because my cable is out. So we'll see how this works. This is um round three of this program. I knew this was going to happen. Well, they are quite fragmentary. The general theme of these fragments from what is known as the Book of Enoch, the Book of Giants, is readily evident. We see that these giants and monsters that were created by these fallen angels had gone out and corrupted the whole earth. It caused great corruption in the earth. A very similar version of what is related here is found in one Enoch, in chapters 86 and 88, and in other Enoch literature. It's highly probable that accounts such as these were the inspiration for the ancient Chimera myths of both Greek and Near Eastern mythology. The offspring which resulted from these unions of diverse species are called bastards. And we see in the Dead Sea Scroll labeled as 4Q204, which is reckoned among the Enoch literature, that their extermination is forecast where it says, exterminate all the spirits of the bastards and the sons of the watchers, meaning the sons of the fallen angels, which seems to have been speaking prophetically and is speaking of the offspring of the fallen angels. In the end, there is sheep and everything else is a goat destined for the lake of fire, where hell and death and the false prophet also find their destiny. 
Now, the book of Enoch, one Enoch, regardless of what we think of its canonicity, discusses a fixed number of angels who did certain things at a given time. And it's talking about the same accounts which we find in Genesis chapter 6. And many people in Christian identity love to cite that book. But what many of them overlook is the evidence that a third of the stars of heaven must have been much more, or many more, than the 200 angels mentioned in that Enoch literature, in those chapters in one Enoch. And that the fall of the angels and the rebellion against God is not limited to that one event which happens to be described in those chapters of Enoch. Those chapters of Enoch don't say that those were the only sins of the angels. So people can't really use that to try to say, you see, and and I've heard this in Christian identity, you see, the, the fallen angels caused these problems over here in Genesis chapter 6, but that doesn't mean they had anything to do with Genesis chapter 3. They are the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They caused the problems in Genesis chapter 3, or at least a particular one of them caused those problems, the seduction of Eve, and they caused the problems which we see in Genesis chapter 6. One does not preclude the other. The fallen angels mixed their seed with every kind. They begot giants and monsters. That, to me, could very well describe the origin of all of those races of people which Yahweh our God did not take credit for in his creation account. I had another person accost me recently. He, he actually stayed on the Christiania chat server for three or four days because I've been on the road. I haven't been there steadily until he finally found me. And when he finally found me, his name is Joshua Kelly. And when he finally found me, he tried to attribute to me things which were written by either Clifton Emma Heiser or possibly Eli James. And he tried to attribute statements to me which I never made concerning the definitions of the word che and the word behema or beast of the field. Either word is sometimes translated beast of the field. Well, when I told Joshua that I never wrote on those topics, and I haven't, I have not written a definitive beast of the field paper. Why? Because I'm not going to duplicate Clifton Emma Heiser's efforts. I have no reason at all to duplicate Clifton's efforts. I think Clifton does a fine job on his own. I don't need to chase after Clifton and, and to rewrite things that I think maybe could have been clearer or he didn't write good enough. I never base my, my work on, on things Clifton has written. I don't try to clean up or follow after him. And Joshua insisted that I should have written the Beast of the Field paper, being disappointed that I never wrote one. But the, the real misunderstanding that Joshua Kelly had is that when Beast of the Field, when that term is used, where it is apparent that two-legged cognizant beings are being spoken of, And let's call the other races two-legged, cognizant beings. 
And, and we just read the Enoch literature in the Dead Sea Scrolls that tells us that these giants and monsters were cognizant beings, that they could cause great corruption, that they, that they would have poor understanding, that they would defile things. It, it's definitely speaking of what we would call people, where it says those things. And, and we see the Book of Enoch calls the, some of these other races, at least, monsters and giants. They were lacking in true knowledge. They would arise lacking in true knowledge, it says in this Dead Sea Scroll 4Q531. Well, these other races, if we want to call them two-legged cognizant beings, where they might be referred to as beasts of the field in Scripture, or where they are apparently referred to as beasts of the field in Scripture, that's not a biological term. That's not a biblical, an official biblical identifier. That's not what Adam, that, that's not one of the things that Adam called every beast when he named every beast in Genesis chapter 2. They're beasts of the field because it's a term used of these people that's a pejorative. Joshua Kelly, in his ignorance, did not know what a pejorative was. It's like calling somebody an animal in a derogatory term. When you call somebody an animal, well, technically we're all animals, right? By the official technical definition of the word. But we use it in a derogatory manner to refer to somebody as a savage or something less than human. And that is how beasts of the field is sometimes used of people in the Bible. The term animal is not by itself derogatory, except in certain applications it becomes derogatory. But that doesn't make it a biological or a biblical title or, or definition for these people if we can call them people. I wouldn't even really want to call the other races people. Only Adamic men should be called, and women should be called people. In Genesis chapter 15, in verses 19 through 21, we see several races mentioned, and they're all dwelling together and mixing it up with each other in the land of Canaan. The Canaanites, the Canaanites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Of those groups, the Canaanites are the descendants of Cain. The Rephaim are the giants. They're still there. They're all still there after the flood. So we see that the tares would be there till the end of the world, as Christ said. They were planted at the beginning of the world, as Christ said. And the Kenites could only be planted by the serpent seducing Eve and giving birth to Cain. The Rephaim are also, likewise, the result of mixtures between the, this fallen angel race and the Adamic race. And we see that in Genesis chapter 6. But the Kenizzites, the Cabanites, and the Perizzites, there are people who have no, absolutely no etymology in Genesis chapter 10. We don't see them mentioned before Genesis chapter 15 anywhere in Scripture. Now, this 
may well be, it may not be, but it may well be, and it seems to be an indication that these people were not Adamic people, but they were named in Scripture. If that is so, this is probably the only place where people other than the descendants of Seth and the descendants of Cain are mentioned in Scripture at all, except for perhaps the reference in Jeremiah to the Ethiopian who couldn't change his skin, because even though the Ethiopian is really a Cushite and a descendant of Cush and an Adamic, originally Adamic race, yet the Ethiopians by Jeremiah's time had been overrun by Nubians and were a black race in Jeremiah's time, or, or at least a but a, for, to a great degree, they were a black race in Jeremiah's time. So, so we see that reference might or, or, or seems to be a reference to Negroes. And that's not even necessarily so, but it seems to be historically at that time a reference to Negroes. But aside from that, there are no, not, not that I can ever recall, there are no mentions of any other race in Scripture except the descendants of Cain and the Rephaim and the descendants of Adam. And those descendants of Cain and those descendants of the Rephaim and, and these Kenizzites and Cabanites and Perizzites, they're only mentioned, these other races are only mentioned in Scripture because the children of Israel would come into contact with them. That's the only reason why they're mentioned in Scripture. There is no claim by Yahweh our God to have created these people simply because they are there. In fact, we cannot blame God for the creation of bastards. Where the term beast of the field seems to apply to people, it's a pejorative. It's a pejorative, and it's used as a pejorative because they don't have a name, because they weren't named by Adam in the garden in Genesis chapter 2. It's incredible that people claiming to be two seed line Christian identity would continually, that they built their ministries around apologizing for the existence of the non-white races. When the Bible doesn't say anything about existence of non-white races, they're not recognized in Scripture. They're not recognized at all. Yet Christ came to reveal things that have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. And everything he told us, every time he mentioned the judgment of the world at his second coming, at his day of judgment, there are only two groups of people. There's, there's only two groups of nations, and nations are races. There's sheep and there's goats. There's wheat and there's tares. If you're not a sheep, you're a goat. And we know who the sheep are. Why does Christian identity have to make excuses for goats? That's absolutely ridiculous. If you find a Christian identity pastor making excuses, building his ministry around making excuses for the existence of goats, that man has an agenda. That man is trying to pollute the sanctuary of Yahweh our God. That man has an agenda in trying to squeeze goats 
into the kingdom of heaven. That's exactly what's going on there. And it's incredible that people in Christian identity let him get away with it. Christ said, every plant which my heavenly father did not plant shall be rooted up. Every bastard, every race which Yahweh did not create shall be rooted up. They all go into the lake of fire. They're rooted up with the gathering of the tares. About the angels that sinned. Satan was cast down to earth. Satan's place was found no longer in heaven. There's two witnesses to that. Revelation chapter 12 and Revelation, and and I'm sorry, Luke chapter 10. But there are two more witnesses to that in Jude and in 2 Peter. While there was, as the scripture states in Revelation chapter 12, while there was an angel who initially led the rebellion against God of the angels, he is still merely an angel. And the apostles tell us the fate of those angels. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. For if Yahweh did not spare the angels who had done wrong or who had sinned, but having cast them into Tartarus, into a pit of darkness, he had delivered them being kept for the judgment. In Jude, verse 6, we see, and the messengers not having kept their first dominion, but having forsaken their own habitation, are kept under darkness in everlasting bindings for the judgment of the great day. Now, which of these Which of the fallen angels do these statements not describe? Therefore, all of the original rebels against Yahweh our God have met this fate, and none of them are wandering the earth today tormenting and tempting men. And none of them are in heaven tormenting and tempting men or or guiding the enemies of our God as some dualists in Christian identity state. If Jude says that the angels who left their first estate are in everlasting bindings under darkness, if Peter says that the angels who sinned are cast into Tartarus, and they're both speaking allegorically, If Peter said that, then how can we imagine that Satan could be in heaven? That's absolutely ridiculous. Which of the fallen angels do those statements not describe? That's a denial of scripture to imagine that Satan is in heaven. That's four witnesses. I'd like to discuss Jude in this context. I'm going to quote from Jude 4. For some men have stolen in. Jude's talking about his own time. And he says, those of old having been written about before time for this judgment. He's talking about the tares, those of old who had been planted at the foundation of the world. He's talking about the Kenites, the scribes in Judah. 
He's talking about the Canaanites, the Edomites, all the descendants of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is able to infiltrate into our white Adamic nations because they actually have a good percentage of our blood. They look like us. Otherwise, they would never be able to steal in. But Judas connecting these men who have stolen in with those of old having been written about before time for this judgment. Godless men substituting the favor of our God for licentiousness and denying our only master and prince, Yahshua Christ. He's talking about the Jews contemporary to his time and their followers. But I desire to remind you, you all knowing that once for all the prince having delivered the people from the land of Egypt, the second time destroyed those not believing, and the messengers not having kept their first dominion, but having forsaken their own habitation, are kept under darkness and everlasting bindings for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in like manner with them committing fornication and having gone after different flesh are set forth an example, undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Whereas likewise also these dreamers, now Jude calls them dreamers, but he's still referring to those men who have stolen in those of old. These dreamers indeed defile the flesh, while they reject authority and they blaspheme honor. Yet Michael, the chief messenger, when contending with the false accuser or with the devil, he argued over the body of Moses, did not venture to bring a judgment for blasphemy, but said, the Lord should censure you. But these are deep blaspheme, whatever they do not know. Yet whatever is natural, they understand like irrational beasts. Jude is calling them beasts, and he's using the word as a pejorative. By these things they destroy themselves. Woe to them, because they have gone in the way of Cain. And in the deception, and in deception they pour forth the wages of Balaam and are destroyed in the disputation of Korah. Korah wanted to initiate his own priesthood. Cain and Balaam. Balaam was advocating race mixing, and Cain was a bastard. These are the spots in your feasts of charity, feasting together without fear, where we see these people of other races, these people who have stolen in, those of old written about before time, where we see these people in our white nations, they are spots in our feasts of charity. Feasting together without fear, we see them, we observe that daily in all white nations today. Tending to themselves, clouds without water being carried away by the winds, laid on them trees without fruit, twice dead being uprooted. The axe is laid to the fruit of the tree. A bad tree cannot, to the root of the tree, I'm sorry, a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. They're twice dead. Once they die physically, they're going to die spiritually. There is no way that we could ever justify these non-Adamic races amongst us. There is no way we could ever give them any credibility. There is no way we could ever find a good place for these people amongst us in the scripture. 
without a doubt, we're denying Jews when we seek to justify the presence of non-Adamic races here in our white nation. These people are twice dead. There are spots in our feasts of charity. There is no way we can make excuses from them and please our God. They are wandering stars, as Jude says in verse 13, for whom the gloom of darkness is kept forever. So we see that these spots in our feasts of charity, the gloom of darkness is kept for them forever. They are those of old who have stolen in. All of this is consistent with the idea that these people are an evil race and that they are an evil race that was here from the beginning, without a doubt. That is what Jude is saying in verses 4, 6, 8, and 12 through 13. In his second epistle, Peter also talks of these same beings. In verse 1, he says, Now there were also false prophets among the people. And he's referring to those same people that Jude says had stolen in, those of old. And in verse 3, Peter says, And with greediness they shall make profit from you. This is 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3. I'm sorry. And with greediness they shall make profit from you with fictitious words. For whom from of old their judgment is not idle and their destruction does not sleep. Peter is referring to these same beasts, these same irrational beasts, these same spurious people that Jude was referring to. Verse 4, and Peter relates them to the fallen angels. For if Yahweh did not spare the messengers who had sinned, but having cast them into Tartarus into a pit of darkness, he had delivered them being kept for judgment. Verse 12. But these, having been born as natural, the King James, I believe, has its brute beasts, having been born as natural, irrational animals, again we see a pejorative of the non-Adamic races, of the descendants of the fallen angels, those who were from old, whose judgment is not idle. They've been awaiting that judgment. They've been awaiting that judgment in chains of darkness. They've been awaiting that judgment in corrupted DNA. These dark bodies of these non-Adamic races The fallen angels are trapped in them, and their destruction and their judgment does not sleep. That's what Peter and Jude are telling us. For if Yahweh did not spare the angels who had sinned, but having cast them into Tartarus, into a pit of darkness, he had delivered them being kept 
before judgment. They were cast into Tartarus, all right, in China, in India, in Africa. That's where they were cast into Tartarus, into a pit. And we let them out and tried to civilize them. And now we're trying to make people out of them. It's impossible. They're irrational beasts, according to the scripture. But these, having been born as naturally rational animals into destruction and corruption, in which blaspheming they are ignorant in their corruption, they shall also perish, doing injustice for the wages of injustice, regarding luxury of pleasure by day, stains and disgraces, reveling in their deceits, feasting together with you. These other races, especially the Jews, but all these other races feasting together with us may our spots and our feasts of charity. It's us and it's them. It's good fish and it's bad fish. It's sheep and it's goats. It's wheat and it's tares. There's never any third choice offered. A lot of people in Christian identity want to imagine there's a third choice. That's all contrary to scripture. You fall into the category of sheep or you fall into the category of goat. There's no third alternative. Anything else is contrary to the Bible. Verse 17, these are streams without water, broken cisterns, and clouds being driven by a tempest for whom the gloom of darkness is kept. The epistle of John, Splits all people into two groups. And I'm going to read 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets, John speaking about the same people that Peter was speaking about in 2 Peter chapter 2, and Jude was also speaking about. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Here we see those angels bound in chains of darkness. They're descendants. They are trapped in those races. The non-Adamic races are derived from the fallen angels. And that includes the Kenites, but it includes all the others as well. And John is talking about embodied spirits. He's not talking about disembodied spirits. We can break all of the people in the world down into two groups, the children of God and Satan, the satanic entity that's always been adversarial to God, adversarial to God, because that's the the origination of all of these other races, and that's clearly described in the Dead Sea Scrolls, which I had quoted from the Enoch literature, where we're told that the fallen angels created giants and monsters. And those monsters in that literature are represented as cognizant beings, as people.
Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is coming to flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is coming to flesh is not of God. John is speaking, and this must be taken in the historical context of the spread of the gospel in the first century Mediterranean world. Now, today when people discuss religion, there are many other factors involved which were not in play then. And many good people today are deceived. They're deceived because they did not test every spirit. But they are deceived. There were people deceived then who were under the, un, under the powers of the devil and mocked in paganism in the pagan world. Eventually, they all became Christians. John is talking about the false prophets coming out into the world, those who claim to know better. And they were broken into two groups, Christians and Judaizers. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God, he that knows God hears us, he that is not of God hears not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not knows not God, for God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us. Because that God sent his only begotten son in the world that we might live through him. Here it is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, not for theirs. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do and testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, the Savior of his people in the world, the Savior of the society, which he founded. It has to be saved. It had to be saved from those who corrupted it from the beginning. That's why it has to be saved. John is telling us that there are people born of the world and there are people born of God. John chapter 3, the words of Yahshua Christ to Nicodemus. Yahshua replied and said to him, Truly I say to you, unless a man should be born from above, he is not able to see the kingdom of God. If you're not born of God, if you're not an Adamic child of Yahweh, you are not going to see the kingdom of God. There is no way that you shall ever see the kingdom of God. You won't see it in the flesh. You won't see it in the spirit. You won't see it from the outside looking in. And you sure as hell won't see it from the inside looking out. The other races 
are not going to see the kingdom of God because they were not born from above. They do not have the Adamic spirit imparted to our race. They are not the children of God. What it boils down to is that it's us and it is them. And if someone is not a sheep, he's a goat. There's no third choice. To deny that is to deny scripture. It would be nice if some people would call in and, and we could discuss things. And, and I, would like to dis- I would like to stay on this topic, if that's possible. There are a lot of heresies, and almost all of those heresies are caused by people bringing in baggage from the world. Like the scripture says, if your mind doesn't become as a child, if you don't wipe the slate clean and understand the Bible from the beginning without all of the baggage, you're always going to be full of strife and dissension because you're trying to put the new patch on the old cloth. I still don't have an internet connection. I hope I still have a telephone connection. Yeah, Bill, you're still coming through. Hello, Matthew. Uh, I've said about all that I had to say. I mean, I would like to discuss this if if people want to call. If if nobody wants to call, I can't really discuss much more. I could probably just keep repeating myself. (laughs) Well, you know, you find yourself doing that almost every week um, because that's exactly what Scripture does. It's constantly repeating itself you know it's it's telling us that history will repeat itself if we do not learn from our errors well, well, the same well, thing that you're trying to, to, to come across here with that there, that there are certain things that the like two C-line Christian identity or, or two C-line identity Christians in some prefer should not disagree on and that's the, the, the fallen angels were here from the beginning, that there was race mixing from the beginning, that that is the source of, that, that is the cause of the fall of man, and that we can't make excuses for these other races because they're all the result of that race Well, We have to understand that it's us and them, period. Right. Well, and and earlier before the the show started recording, I was telling you um, the the part of your show last night uh, in the first ten minutes or so. It was exactly what you had started out with in discussing how Yahshua said that he was going to reveal the secrets that were hidden from the the uh, foundation of this world, and it was revealed through the parables. And and it was it was it's so telling and and you really you expounded on that uh, and that was fantastic. Um, one of the points I'd like to make because I've been you know I've I've been uh, doing.
doing some reading in the New Testament, and I've been reading Acts. And uh, I think I put this into the chat room a couple times in the in the last uh, two nights or so, maybe. Um, it's concerning Acts 24, uh, 15, where Paul specifically states, and this is this is when he I can't remember who it is exactly he is in front of at this point. Um, but this is this is when he is basically being put to trial by the the Judeans um, for his position. They're they're you know really trying to get him for heresy. And his specific point was that it was his teaching on the resurrection of the just and the unjust. Now that statement alone completely blows away any. Judeo-Christian concept of well, if you do the right things, you go to heaven. If you're bad, you're going to go to hell. I mean, that just that blows that completely out of the water. And that specific statement can only be related to a specific people, a descendancy, a heritage. You know, where it doesn't, you know, where it doesn't matter what you have done in your life, you were promised to be resurrected, period. That's what saving our people is all about. Now, what we're resurrected to is a completely different story. Well, well right. I mean, Daniel says that there are some of us that are resurrected to, to, um, to eternal repose, basically. It, it, we're going to be ashamed of the way we live this life, and we're going to be ashamed of it forever. Right. Uh, right. And and my my point to that is is you know it has to be there can be no other explanation other than the racial concept. You know, if it was the case if it was the case where every single creature on this planet gets resurrected you know what is the point to having law? What is the point to loving your brother? What is the point to virtually everything that Yahshua reiterated to us from Old Testament law? I'm getting some feedback from. I hope it's not on a recording. That the um, I hear myself feedback. That the um, in in one Corinthians chapter three, Paul explains that. No man can build on any foundation other than Christ, and some of us are going to build gold and silver and precious stones, and we're going to be rewarded for that. And some of us are going to build wood, hay, and stubble on that foundation. And because we only built wood, hay, and stubble on that foundation, that our works would be burnt in the fire, and we would have no reward. And Paul says, but he himself would still be saved. There's no doubt that salvation is for our entire race. Now, some of us are going to be unhappy with our reward, and that's just the way it is because of the way we live this life. But our entire race, salvation is racial. It's not behavioral. The reward is based upon our behavior. But our entire race is part of salvation. And none of the other races can ever see the kingdom of heaven at any time because they were not born from above. Right. If you cannot understand the concept of all Israel is saved, you're pretty much a Jew. 
Well, well, right, because you 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 are actually you are actually despising and hating your brethren for their sin when Yahweh has forgiven you of your sin. And Christ has said very often in the parable that he who who is forgiven the most is the most grateful. He is who who is forgiven of the least is the least grateful. He's constantly, consistently indicated to us that even those of us who sin horrendously shall be forgiven. Now, he also tells us that if we're forgiven of our sins, that we shouldn't despise our brethren, even those who sin against us, that we should forgive our brethren in turn. James says that he who who fails in one point of the law is liable for the whole law. How can we hold our brother's sins against him if we are being forgiven for what we have done? That is an, an absolute failure. That is an absolute failure to understand the forgiveness and the grace of God. And it is an absolute failure to love our brother. Well, I'm sorry. I consider the people who would throw Israelites in the lake of fire and save the beast absolute heretics. Right. It's it's truly insane that they even want to, you know, include, let alone make excuses for these other people. There is no room in Scripture for them at all, and it's it's plain and simple. Well, Matt, if we don't have a caller, I would end the program here. I don't I don't have much more to say. Yeah, I know Aaron was trying to call in, but talk she's not cooperating. Um, I had unmuted Martin while you were talking, but that seemed to be when you were getting your feedback. Um, so I, I muted him and was waiting for you to finish your, your thought, and, and he hung up. So um, I'm not seeing any other callers unless uh, Robert's on the call, but he's usually on the call to, uh, to listen in. I'll, I can unmute him. Well, see if he has anything to say. Sure. Hello, Matt. Hello, Matt. Hey, Robert. Uh, I'm just listening. I'm kind of not trying to talk. Thanks for the opportunity. Sure, no problem. I'm trying to get back on the internet, but it's just not working. I hope that we can salvage the recording out of this. If not, I'll do it again in a few weeks. Maybe I'll add to yeah. it. Yeah, I'm, I might uh, actually suggest you redoing this one because there was a couple spots where you hadn't dropped, but um, you were breaking up pretty good, and it was at some. It was during your uh, reading of the the Dead Sea Scrolls, and and uh, I mean you were coming into some really good points that were just getting cut off. <laughs> it was a shame. Well, it was a program. It's the best I could do tonight. Um, Panama City Beach is, is it's beautiful here, but um, the weather is not treating me pretty kindly. What, what can I say? I'm finally back on the Internet. I don't, I don't know. It's probably going to be pretty much temporary. 
I'm going to end it here. Thank you, everybody. Praise Yahweh, and, and good night. And, and I'll post this recording on Chris Deganio with the caveat that, that, that it was terrible. I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> that, that it was um, poor quality and broken up because of the storms. Praise Yahweh. Good night.